0: Well, um, it's great to be with you today. And I want to start this message really by saying a bunch of thank yous. Um, Obviously, it's, uh, I guess, a season that's changing for us as we move on from King's and we're going to be moving to the Netherlands. But I really want to begin this message by just saying thank you to so many of you who have reached out to us, um, sent us some very kind messages or invites, or just checked in with us. And I'm sorry we haven't been able to kind of get to everybody's house. We'd have loved to have done that. Um, but we just want to say how much we appreciate just the sense of care and support and people being for us and with us. Um, we've just experienced that pretty much everywhere we've gone. And so we just want to say thank you so much for reaching out to us and doing that. I want to thank, obviously, um, I mean, there's so many people I'd love to thank specifically, but it'd be good for you to know that the elders and the trustees have been very supportive of us, and we want to thank them. Uh, thank you to Steve and Deb for your support and an oversight. Thank you to our staff team who have been incredibly supportive. Uh, We have a brilliant staff team. Um, I'm sure you know that, but I wanna recommend them to you. And thank you to that bunch of people who have been so uh, good to us and care about us. So I want you to know how loved we feel, cared for. um, And although we are moving on in the sense of physically, we're gonna be moving and serving another church that's gonna hopefully emerge and grow Uh, We feel absolutely connected here and we feel sent and loved and cared for. And we just want to thank you so much for for that. That is very precious to us. So there's so much more I I could say, but I want to just say that on behalf of myself and Sarah, how much we appreciate uh, all of you and so much of the support and care that we are receiving. Um, If you want to hear a little bit more about what's going on with us in this next season, Uh, I'm sure there'll be some updates at King's, but also you could, if you like, you can kind of hear from us direct if you'd like to. We're going to start a little website and a little blog where we're going to be talking a bit about what we're doing in Rotterdam, about the plant, but also really about some thoughts about leadership and life and some of our thoughts about faith and family. And uh, we've called that 360 degree view, which is a reference to a prophetic word we received, which kind of helped cement, if you like, our, our decision to move to Rotterdam. If you've if that means nothing to you and you've not seen our video all about that, I'd really encourage you to check that out. That's actually on the King's website, on Steve's blog, but it's going to be posted on the website I've also just mentioned. So if you want to check out what's going on with us, if you like regularly or just a little bit more up date straight from us, you can look that up. I think the, the link is on the website, on the screen now. And uh, when you do that, you can subscribe to us and uh, we will... We won't inundate you, but we will let you know what's going on with us, and hopefully that will encourage you and bless you. So it's my privilege uh, to speak today, and it's been my privilege really to speak in this church for the last 20 to 25 years. I know I don't look old enough to have been speaking for that long. Um, it's interesting, the journey you go on in life. I want you to know I'd never really had in my mind that I was going to be a pastor in a church. Some of you know that. Um, And it was really something that God just opened up for me. I came to this church in 1992. And uh, I'd had a season out of church as a student. And the truth is, my faith, I'd struggled in my faith. That really was, uh, therefore, quite a pivotal experience for me and has influenced my view on how important it is to get into a church and how important it is to be connected into a church. And I want to appeal to you, if you... uh, are on the edge of this church or the edge of another church. I want to encourage you to step in, because actually you may be able to survive as a Christian without being deeply connected to a church, but I don't think you'll flourish. And that was certainly my experience, and I got to a point in my life when I moved to London when I knew I really needed to connect back into church. And I knew there was a New Frontiers church in Catford or in Penge. I was living in East Dulwich. I knew there were two buses, the 176 and 185. I said to God, whichever bus comes first, the 185 came first. And I turned up in Catford, uh, and I was like, I'm in. I don't really mind if it's got everything I want or not. I'm in because I know I need to be connected to a bunch of Christians who are going to do me good. And that's what I did. And uh, I had no intention to ever work for a church or to speak publicly. My only experience of speaking publicly was at a school assembly in India, where I got to speak on my favourite Bible character, uh, who I said was Barnabas. And uh, well, it was Barnabas, but I preached on Barnabas. I spoke on Barnabas a week later. They asked the same bunch of kids who can remember what uh, Phil spoke on last week. No one could remember anything other than one kid who put his hands up and said, Yeah, Barabbas. So those children thought my favorite Bible character was Barabbas. That's how my preaching career began. Um, but God opened the door, and it's been an utter privilege to preach in this church. And I think I'm, I'm hoping that I've served you. But really, I want you to know how enriched I have been by preaching here and serving this church. So I get to preach today. The truth is it's a bit of a struggle sometimes to know, well, what do you preach on an occasion like this? And I wondered, maybe I should just tell a bunch of stories. Some people I think would like that. I did once get accused of simply making up my stories about my life. That's not true. They are real stories. But in the end, I decided to preach from a story in the Bible, which I thought might be a bit better. And uh, this is a story which has impacted me significantly. And it's one of those stories which is so simple that sometimes I think the truth is we can be a little bit dismissive of them. They're the kind of stories which end up in kids' books and they get treated as like little moral stories. But actually this story we're going to read, like all of Jesus' stories, is, it's so profound that if we will listen to what Jesus is saying and we will do something about it, it will change our lives. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 7. And we're going to read from verse 24. And Jesus tells this story as as the finale to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount really is the most famous sermon ever preached. It's not his farewell message or anything like that. But this story he tells is the landing of the whole Sermon on the Mount. So he's just taught really all about the kingdom, about what counts, what doesn't count, what matters to God and therefore should matter to us about living generously and giving and how to pray, how to deal with fear and anxiety, how to love your enemies. Basically what kingdom living looks like, what kingdom thinking is, what kingdom values are. And as he lands that whole sermon, he tells this story. It says this, therefore everyone The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus has just preached the most famous and the greatest sermon of all time. But he's saying to them, unless you do something about what I've just said, unless you choose, unless you act upon what I'm saying unless you believe me in other words and trust me enough to do life my way these things i've just said jesus says are just going to be words it means that you and i could hear the greatest sermon read the greatest books we could sit at the feet of the most remarkable and wise men and women we could have the most remarkable holy spirit encounters but unless we do something with what god is saying to us and giving to us unless we take him seriously in other words in the end it makes no difference Imagine if you, I don't know if you have children, but imagine if you have children and if they're old enough to leave at home and as you're leaving the home, you said, guys, just a reminder, please, can you do the washing up and tidying up? Can you sort the kitchen out? If you said that to your kids and they all said, yeah, 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 that's fine. No problem, you go and you went out and guess what? When you came back, guess what? Nothing had happened. It's all the same as it was when you left. You'd be like, guys, I just... Yeah, 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 we said we'd do it, but you haven't done anything. Or imagine if you taught your kids, you need to brush your teeth, like in the morning and in the evening, you need to brush your teeth, and they're like, yeah, 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 but they never brush them. You'll be like, I've, I've just said a bunch of words, but basically in the end they're just words because nothing is happening. And Jesus is saying, unless you do something of what I'm saying to you, they're just going to be words. There's a There's a little verse in James, in James 1, verse 23, and it says, do not... Now that verse in James is kind of quite a funny verse. It's like you're like someone who looks in the mirror and as you walk away you totally forget what you look like. Now some of you are thinking in real life that is exactly what I'm trying to do when I look in the mirror. I don't want to remember what I look like. I want to forget what I just looked like. But he's saying that that's what we can do. If we don't act upon what he is saying we're like someone who just forgets what we just saw. And it has massive implications for our life. And so Jesus tells this story. And in this story, there are two men. There is one storm, one rock, and two very different outcomes. Let's talk about the men. Jesus says there's a story. In this story, there are two men, both of whom are builders. They are both here to build a house. And the first thing I want you to notice is not that both builders show up, even though that is a miracle that they both come up on time. Sorry to all my building friends. It's a cheap shop, but I had to get it in there. What The thing I want you to notice is that they both build. Jesus is saying that we are the characters in the story and we are all builders. Every one of us, we are building houses or we are building our lives. And we build them primarily by the choices we make every day. Now sometimes we have to make very big choices. Sarah and I are obviously right in the midst of a very big life choice for us and our family. But the truth is generally we build our lives by a lot of accumulation of little choices that we make every day. And in fact, most of the big choices we make are the accumulation or the product of smaller ones. Both the things we choose to do and the things we omit to do. Very simple choices that we make all the time all of which impact upon other choices. So things like this, and some of them you might think are a bit, a bit small and frivolous, but actually really important. Choices like this, what time will I go to bed? Will I have my phone next to my bed or downstairs? Will I get up in the morning and read, pray, spend some time with God? Will I have a budget? Will I keep to a budget? Will I spend hours searching on the internet, looking for more things to buy? Will I take exercise seriously? Will I walk? Will I run? Will I go swimming? Will I join a group? Would I turn up for my group? Will I prioritize friends who do me good, who encourage me and build my faith? Will I make it to church regularly or not? Or will I simply commit to doing other things? And it goes on and on. All sorts of choices that we make every day every morning, every afternoon, every evening. And the truth is often we commit those, we kind of, we treat those choices like they are not that important sometimes. We can be quite casual about them. But actually, those kind of choices are the things through which we build our lives, particularly around the issue of time. To who and to what will I give my time? And to who and to what will you give your time? in fact if you go back to chapters earlier in Matthew 5 verse 37 Jesus says these famous words he says this let your yes be your yes and let your no be your no And Jesus is saying those two words are critical words that you need to think about. You need to think deeply about those words because what you give a yes to and who and what you give a no to will ultimately shape and define the kind of lives, the kind of houses, the kind of lives that we are building. And sometimes we get those words, yes and no, very confused. How many of us have ever found ourselves saying yes to something When someone says, please, would you come and do this? And you say yes, but inside, the words yes come out of your mouth, but inside you're screaming no. But we say yes for some reason. Why do we do that? And we get them the wrong way round. We commit to things that we should never commit to, but it can work the other way as well. Sometimes we find ourselves saying no to things, either consciously or not, that we should be saying yes to. And we'll find all sorts of reasons to excuse ourselves like that. Well, I'd love to get involved in that. I'd love to be part of that group. I'd love to be able to get there regularly. I'd love to be able to kind of get fit. Or I'd like to read my Bible regularly. Or I'd like to pray. Or I'd like to read more. Or I'd like to do those activities that make me feel alive, that help me flourish as a Christian, that help me grow. But I just don't have enough time, is often the word we put on that. And we kind of excuse ourselves, but. Because we're saying no to things we know we want to say yes to, but we excuse ourselves. We say, oh, I'd love to, but I can't, because I just, often we say we don't have enough time. But the truth is, often, very often, probably virtually always, we do have enough time. We have simply chosen to do other things instead. And into the midst of that, Jesus says, let your yes be your yes, and let your no be your no. In other words, think deeply and carefully about what and who you say yes to and what and who you say no to. Because in the end, I am and you are responsible for the choices we make and the lives we build. Both men build, and both men are responsible for where and what they build. That is why one of them is called foolish, and one of them is called wise. We are ultimately all responsible. One of the most sobering little verses in the Bible, I think, comes in 2 Samuel 11, and that is basically the beginning of the story of David, King David, who was you know, a man after God's own heart, did amazing stuff, but then had this awful season, episodes in his life, where he commits adultery, he, you know, he, he runs off with another man's Wife, he then has that man murdered and it's this horrible season but right but that whole thing begins right at the start a little earlier in 2 Samuel 11 where it says in the springtime when kings go off to war David remained in Jerusalem David in other words does not go and do and be where he should be he doesn't he omits to place himself in the context that he should be in And that leads to this whole unravelling in his life. And something he omits to do leads him to something that he then commits to do. And sometimes that is the way it works. That if we omit to make the right choices, it can lead us. Sometimes the areas that we end up sinning in is because we've sinned by omitting to do something and it leads us into sins that we commit. David's terrible yeses over here begins with a wrong no over here where he should have gone. Each one of us, Jesus says, should think deeply about what we say yes to and what we say no to. About, because it shapes how we build our lives and who we are going to grow to be. Two builders, everybody builds. And there is one storm. Jesus says the rains came, the water level rises and the wind gets up. Now, as a child, we went on holiday to Scotland once. You wanna know why we only went once? Because we literally lived through this story in Scotland. The rains came, the waters came up, the winds came. In fact, they didn't just arrive. They had been there the entire time. They lived there in Scotland. Apart from the day that we left, which was sunny, uh, next summer, we went to Mallorca. I don't think my mom was happy about going back to Scotland ever again on holiday. Now, I want you to notice the storms come to both houses. No one in the story is immune to the storm. Occasionally in churches, you'll hear people preach, not our church, but you'll hear this in, kind of in, the, in Christian churches or in faith out there on YouTube. You'll hear people say that if you're a believer and you have enough faith, then the storm won't come to your house. You'll be immune from the trouble. But not in this story. Faith is not an immunization against trouble. In fact, if anything, it's the opposite sometimes. Jesus says in John 16, In this world, you will experience trouble, storms. And yes, we can bring trouble upon ourselves by terrible choices or bad judgments. But sometimes, storms just come. That's what happens. Storms come to both houses. But I want you to see. In the story, Jesus is saying the storm is not the same as the outcome. It's a circumstance. It's something you walk through, but it's not the same as the outcome. The rain comes, the water rises, the wind beat against both houses, but one of the house stands and one of the house completely disintegrates. The storm is not in control. In the last couple of weeks, I've seen both my brothers, I've got two older brothers, Uh, and it's been really fun to see them. And with one of my brothers, we were reminiscing about a time when we went up to the Lake District together. We took a little tent and we went out and camped up in the mountains for a couple of nights. And uh, I'd done that lots of times, but on this occasion, I don't think we'd checked the weather forecast. We hadn't really picked a very good place to go and camp. And we were on the side of this mountain and a storm blew in and it was just horrendous weather. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I realized that my feet were wet, my sleeping bag was wet, I'm basically sleeping in a stream. In other words, the storm is not just beating against our tent. The storm is inside our tent. In other I remember thinking, it's raining inside our tent. And we had to pack up in the middle of the night and get off that thing. And one of the reasons why storms scare us sometimes is because we are worried that the storms are, are in charge. The storms don't just come to us. They, if you like, they get inside us. We're fearful that the storm is in control, that the storm is in charge of the outcome. But Jesus is saying the storm is not in control. The storm is not the thing which has the definitive say in our lives. What counts, in other words, is not how ferocious the storm is. What counts is where you build, who you build on, who you will trust who you will follow, whether you're going to just do your own thing and build in your own way and you're doing your own thing wherever you want or whether you're going to build with him, on him, follow him. And that decision, Jesus says, makes all the difference in the world. Everything, if you like, hinges on that. It doesn't mean if you're a Christian and you decided to follow Jesus that everything is always going to be great. Sometimes things will be hard, very hard. Sarah and I don't really quite know what this next season is going to be like. We imagine some of it is going to be hard, challenging at times, lonely maybe even at other times. But what it means is, Jesus is saying, in the end, even through the storm, in the end, the circumstance is not in charge, that it's going to be okay. Because... Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Matthew 6 says, I've got a father who cares for me, so I don't have to fear, I don't have to let anxiety be in charge. Psalm 23 says, we've got a shepherd who's going to provide, so I shall not want. It means, as the writer and theologian Dallas Willard once says, it means that for the Christian, the universe is a perfectly, a perfectly safe place for you and I to be. Why because there is a rock. You see, for all the thousands of choices we make in our lives, and there is th- there are thousands of choices, ultimately there is one, cho- church, one choice that matters way more than any other, because from that choice, everything else flows. You see, we live in a world, don't we, of choice overload. We live partly, this is the privilege of living in the West, we have choice overload. It can be exhausted. You go to the supermarket and you're wondering what, you know, what kind of shampoo to buy? And you can literally stand in the aisle for hours trying to work out what kind of flavor shampoo we should have. I know flavor's not quite the right word, but you know what I mean. And choice overload can lead us to complete inertia and procrastination. But in the end, there is one choice that matters way more than any other choice. In Luke 10, there's a story of Jesus going to Mary and Martha's house. And... Martha is running around, getting everything ready. Some of you, or many of you may know this story. Mary has decided to go and sit at Jesus' feet. And Martha is not happy that Mary is not helping. And to be honest, I would understand. It's like, Mary, why haven't you done all the washing up I asked you to do earlier? She's not happy. And she complains to Jesus about, like, what's Mary doing? Why isn't she helping? She's just sitting at your feet. But Jesus says to Martha these famous words. Says, Martha, Martha, when Jesus says your name twice, you know that you've got to listen, Right? You are worried about many things. But only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. Now, Jesus is not teaching that it's good to avoid doing housework. I know some of you are thinking that was the killer verse that you'd hoped you'd finally find that you don't have to do all the housework. It's nothing to do with housework. Jesus is saying Mary is sitting at his feet. In other words, she has adopted the posture of a believer, of a follower, of a disciple, of someone who is saying to Jesus, I'm going to build my life on you. And Jesus is saying that Mary has chosen, has made the most important choice about where and who we're going to build our life on. You see, we either build on the rock or we don't. We don't get the option to half build on the rock. We don't build on the rock. If we don't build on the rock, then we build on sand. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't get an option to kind of do a hybrid. And when you build on sand, you may build a life which looks outwardly impressive, but in the end, Jesus is saying, it won't stand, it won't last, it won't count. But he is saying, if you will build your life on him, if you will say to him, things like, okay, you say to me, you're going to provide for me, so I will live generously with my money or your money. You say that it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how successful I am or significant in worldly terms. What matters is how much I love and serve people, so I'm going to live that way. Or you say to Jesus, okay, you say to me, it matters how I use my body or what I watch, so I'm going to keep myself pure. I'm going to live the way you say because I believe you have the words of eternal life. When you say those kind of things and when you live your life out in that way, when you build your life on the rock, in other words, when you don't just hear what he says but you do it, Jesus said you're going to build a life that counts, a life that makes a difference, a life that stands. Friends, there will be a day when all of us will stand before him. The Bible's very clear, there will be a day. And I can assure you, on that day, all of us will take him very seriously. And on that day, we will have to totally trust in the goodness and the grace of God on that day. And I want to encourage you, let's trust in the goodness and God and the grace of God on this day. Let's build on the rock. Let's build lives which count that make a difference, that stand. Let's build on him. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words which are so simple but profound. And I want to pray for anybody who has heard this message today that you'd give us the strength and the courage to absolutely trust you to do everything you tell us to do to build our lives on you because we know, God, that in the end you have the very best for us and we want to live according to everything you have. We want to be who you want us to be and we want you to have your way in our lives. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.